Hello and welcome to the Crossroads Church Podcast, where we desire to see a world transformed by the good news of Jesus Christ. If you have a story to share about how God is working in your life, you can send a message to info at mycrossroads.co. Now, let's get our hearts and minds ready for a powerful message from God's Word. Life in the line of duty um, on a vehicle stop. If you watch the news about any day, you can turn on the news and see that uh, throughout our country and throughout the world that there's a lot of pain and a lot of suffering going on. Um, and it would be real easy for you and I to fall into despair. Even this morning as I was watching the news, I saw that yet again another storm front has come through and there's been some terrible flooding and um, more people are, are left homeless. I don't know what the death, I don't know if there was a death toll yet to, to that devastation, but, but nonetheless, um, there's a lot of tragedy and tragic things that go on in our lives, and I was reading through um, just kind of social media, reading up on some stuff, and I actually came across a, some some funny um, asking for a friend memes. And uh, so I, I jotted a couple of them down. Some will be on the screen behind you, but I, I kind of want to open uh, with this with this thought, this idea of asking for a friend, and, I, and I'll explain how that's going to tie in. So one of the ones I came across was, "How many days can you go without showering?" Asking for a friend. Do people really need a shower every day asking for a friend? My kids ask that every day, and they're not even asking for a friend. They're asking for themselves. Um, if it's Sunday and you're still wearing the same shirt from Friday, does that make you really gross asking for a friend? How long does it take for a body to start to smell uh, asking for a friend? Can you cook bacon with a hair straightener <laughs> asking for a friend? I thought this one was kind of funny but also kind of sad. Do seahorses taste like shrimp? <laughs> Asking for a friend. Is it okay to wear pajamas to pick your daughter up from school? Asking for a friend. I've actually worn my pajamas to drop my kids off at school on more than one occasion. That does not make them happy. Um, is there a way to suddenly make a car disappear that you're test driving? Asking for a friend. Can you serve Jesus and hate people? <laughs> Asking for a friend. And this is one that... Um, if now, if, if you spent any time in ministry, you'll, you'll appreciate. Um, what page did Jesus turn water into wine? <laughs> Asking for a friend. I was thinking about this whole concept of, of friendship and for you and I, what the links that we would go to for a friend. And I was thinking about um, the, the tragedies that have happened and, and the impact that that's had on those who were present and responded. And in just a few minutes, I'm going to unpack a passage in the Bible that the Lord led me to, but last week, uh, or week before last, um, I had a, the, the privilege, and I, I do consider it a privilege, to um, have had an opportunity to talk with several of the officers that responded to the call at UNC Charlotte, and um, just as they've kind of shared uh, what they witnessed and how that impacted them and, and what's going on, um, I, I do count it a privilege to, to walk alongside of them and to, um, to kind of hear um, their, their pain. For those of you that don't know, um, for about 15 years um, in my early life, I served in public safety. I, I was actually one of those, those kids that was truly, truly blessed, and I do consider it a blessing. I started off as a firefighter. Um, when I was a child, I, I, I remember you know, just loving fire trucks and police cars and ambulances and you know, knowing that I wanted to go into public safety but not sure what I wanted to do. And so I started off as a firefighter, and while I was working as a firefighter, I became a paramedic. 
And a few years into that career, I had an opportunity to, to go to rookie school and become a law enforcement officer. And so I actually got to serve in all three of those capacities. And even while I worked part-time in EMS, um, I had a couple of occasions to serve um, as a dispatcher, just to fill in when we were short-staffed in, in our emergency call center. And so it was an incredible experience for me. I really um, am, am grateful and thankful for that time that I got to spend in, in public safety. But more importantly, I'm, I'm thankful for the men and women that I got to serve alongside of and still get to, on, on occasion, I still serve um, as a part-time deputy sheriff and I've still kept some of my EMS certifications up. And so um, every day when these kind of events happen, I'm thankful and grateful for the men and women that I've got to serve alongside of and for the men and women that are continuing to serve and, and the great sacrifice that they make in that service. And I really have seen in my career men and women rush into the presence, clear and present danger without really any thought or regard for their own life and their own safety. That they've put themselves in circumstances in which um, they may be asked to give their life. Or they put themselves in situations where nobody else wants to go. I mean, if you think about, it really is kind of counterintuitive when you think about firefighters and, and how, you know, the building is burning up and everybody is doing everything they can to get out of the building. Meanwhile, there are men and women who put on equipment and willingly run into that chaos. And every day throughout our community, there are men and women who, despite the fact that there is gunfire and danger, carry a gun, carry a badge, carry equipment, and walk boldly and confidently into that situation because they know it's their duty to render assistance at whatever that cost may be. And I'm so thankful and blessed that I've gotten to experience that and be a part of that, and I'm thankful and blessed for the men and women that I still get to stand beside of and courageously watch them do this day in and day out. And I honor them for their service, especially for those who do it full-time and they spend their days and their nights doing that. So as I was thinking about those individuals and, and thinking about and, you know, and talking with these, with these officers and walking through just, just the horrific things that they witnessed, I was thinking about those memes, asking for a friend, and I was thinking about what links you and I would go to for a friend. Because I think it's one thing in that moment when it's your job and, and, and having experienced those situations, oftentimes you rush into them with little regard for your safety because it's just your training and, and second nature kicks in and, and you just go and you do it and it's not till after the situation that you think about how really close of a call that was. And so last Sunday is... I was sitting here praying and we were doing worship and I was praying for the, the family of the Mooresville officer and, um, and the officers that were going to be involved in the investigation and responding to that call. I was reminded of a passage in Luke, Luke chapter 5, and I want to read that to you. If you've got your Bibles, you can turn to Luke chapter 5. I'm going to start in verse 17. One day, he... One, Excuse me. One day, as he was teaching, Pharisees and teachers of the law who had come from all over Galilee, Judea, and Jerusalem were sitting there. And the power of the Lord was present for him to heal the sick. Some men came carrying a paralytic on a mat and tried to take him into the house to lay him before Jesus. When they could not find a way in... 
because of the crowd, they went up on the roof and lowered him on his mat through the tiles in the middle of the crowd right in front of Jesus. When Jesus saw their faith, he said, Friend, your sins are forgiven. The Pharisees and the teacher of the law began to think to themselves, Who is this fellow who speaks blasphemy? Who can forgive sin but God alone? Jesus knew what they were thinking and asked, Why are you thinking these things in your heart? Which is easier to say, your sins are forgiven, or to say, get up and walk? But so that you may know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sin, he said to the paralytic man, I tell you, get up, take your mat, and go home. I want to spend a few minutes just kind of unpacking some thoughts that the Lord gave me on this passage, and I hope that they are meaningful to you. Luke opens the chapter by telling us that on this particular day when Jesus was speaking that there were some proud religious law keepers and teachers from really from all over who had gathered to hear him speak. And the first thing I thought about is how that scene is not very far removed from what any given Sunday here looks like. That as I look out amongst the crowd, I, I see men and women of the faith who have been walking with the Lord for, for a long time. And Luke lets us know that, that some of the most studied, well-versed theologians, those that had practiced the law, those who had been walking with, with the Lord, who understood or thought they understood who God was, were, were the ones that were among Jesus and among the crowd. And for you and I, there are those among us who, in this room who are, are giants in the faith, who have... You know, spent many more years than me studying. You know, I think about Lowell. I mean, look how old he is and how long he's been working with the Lord, right? I did not take that shot first service, but I wasn't going to miss my chance second service. <clears throat> there are definitely those among us who are newer and younger in the faith. Maybe there's those among us who have not yet encountered the grace and mercy of Jesus, but, but there are definitely many among us who are faithful to study the scriptures every day and to prayer and, and to committed to prayer and to seeking the Lord. And so I don't want you and I to, to listen to the story and think that this was a story that happened thousands of years ago, but rather this is a story that very well could happen today, right here in this house. That right now there are faithful followers and believers from all over our community that are gathered in this room today to hear what the Lord might share, and to encounter his presence and to worship him. As Nancy reminded us when she stood up here that the presence of the Lord is here to bring healing and wholeness to us. That each morning on Sundays we gather here in the hopes that the Holy Spirit of God will move in our midst and that we will see miracles. We sing songs that declare the glory of our risen King. And it says that some men brought their friend carrying him on his bed in the hopes that they could encounter the presence of this Jesus. That they knew that the only hope that their friend had because he was paralyzed and unable to 
bring himself and unable to come to the, to the place where Jesus was at, that they were hoping that by bringing him into Jesus' presence that Jesus would be able to do something. You know, I think if you and I are honest, we all have that one friend or that one person in mind like that, right? Like we, we all come on, or hopefully we come on Sundays and we think about that one person that we wish that they were here. Or we wish that, that somehow they could just come to, to know Jesus in the way that you and I do. And, and we look at not only their, maybe, maybe it is someone who has a physical ailment, but, but more importantly, we all have that one friend that we know um, that, that desperately needs the love and the grace and the mercy that Jesus has for them, but we've yet been unable to see Jesus move. Remember, this crippled man has a condition that prevents him from physically being able to get to Jesus. And I think if you and I are not careful... We can read this story and gloss over the, the, the really the deep message that Jesus is about to unpack and we can, we can look and, and we get too caught up in the physical condition of this world, right? Like, we, like I don't doubt that there's, when I think about the, the people in this room, for most of us, if we were driving in a church today and we saw a crippled person trying to cross the street, we would probably stop and help them if we, if we thought they were going to get hit by a car, Right? Most of us, if we saw a blind person walking and they were about to walk off a cliff or into a ditch or something like that, might stop and help them. If we saw a child wandering through our neighborhood, lost and confused, most of us would, would approach them and try to find out who they are and where they belong and offer them help and comfort. If you and I were out in public or at a food court or at a party and someone uh, became violently ill or clenched their chest or something that, that led you to believe they had an emergency would quickly pick up the phone and call 911 and render whatever kind of aid we could. But I wonder if you and I would apply that same compassion and that same perseverance and that same call to action when it comes to a brother and sister who's spiritually crippled and spiritually paralyzed. That do you and I feel that same sense, that same duty, that same call to respond? These four guys did. They knew that their buddy couldn't physically get there, so they were going to they grab their grab the four corners of his mat, or what I assume the four corners of his bed or his mat, and they they take him to see Jesus. And the passage tells us that when they got there that the place was so full that they couldn't get in. Now, I want to share two thoughts on that for you and I because, you know, when I first read that, I had one thought, and then the Lord reminded me of a second thought. And they're both, please hear me, this is tempered with grace because I recognize that this was convicting for me, and so I'm just sharing with you what the Lord shared with me. I have the privilege about once a month, roughly, to stand up here and speak and so I, like many of the people on the stage, am very aware when I look out across this congregation how many chairs are actually full and how many chairs are actually empty. And I'm listening to the story, and on the one hand, it excited me that the place was so full that he couldn't get in. But I thought for you and I each Sunday how... On some level, we should be convicted by the empty chair beside of us. 
that you and I recognize that each Sunday we have an opportunity to become before the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords and celebrate the risen Christ and His goodness and the fullness of who He is. And all of us throughout the week walk side by side with people who desperately need to meet that Jesus. And I think that for us as a body of believers, it should grieve our hearts that the chair beside of us is empty. That, that the message that we're sharing with the world, the good news that we're willing to travel so far to hear, isn't so compelling in and through our lives that it doesn't compel other people to join us here on Sunday mornings. While I'm thankful that the place was so full that they couldn't get in, it also struck me that not a single person noticed this crippled man desperately needed to get to Jesus and started asking the crowd to move, make a hole, let's get him in there, let's, let's get him down front, let's get him before Jesus. So while I pray that you and I will begin to prayerfully consider who we can invite and who we can bring into our fold and who God's calling us to minister to and come alongside of. I don't ever want us to get too busy, too big, too concerned about our own comfort that we miss those among us who desperately need Jesus. And if we are not cautious, we're going to get caught up in the bickering and the trappings of this world as we debate and bicker social justice issues and laws and who deserves to be here and not be here and who deserves to pay this and not pay that or whatever those things are, you and I as a body of believers, if we're not cautious, we're going to get so wrapped up in that that we're going to miss the crippled beside of us that desperately needs us to pick them up and carry them to the feet of Jesus. It says that the friends were so motivated and so driven to get their friend to the feet of Jesus that they climbed up on the roof and began to rip the tiles off the roof, began to rip the pieces of the roof off. Now, just in case some of you are not um, well-versed on uh, history 2,000 years ago or culture 2,000 years ago, it would still have been inappropriate 2,000 years ago to climb up on your neighbor's roof and begin to rip their shingles off just like it would be inappropriate to do that now, okay? So I just want to make sure you understand this was not normal behavior. This was behavior of four desperate individuals. What would our response be if this place was so packed that we couldn't squeeze another person in here that we literally had to have people climbed up on our roof and started peeling the metal back just to get a glimpse of what we freely walk into every Sunday? <clears throat> About 20 years ago, I was working... In public safety and I was about a mile at that I was off duty that day and I was sitting in my office at the local community college where I was teaching and a friend of mine named Todd Cook responded to a call about a mile down the road to serve a warrant Todd goes into the house and he and the suspect have some they exchange some words and I'm not exactly sure what happens next but 
a shootout ensues and Todd is struck several times. And the dispatcher gets on the radio and you can clearly hear the panic in their voice and they give out the call and so immediately all of us you know, that were close by, whether we were working or not, started to respond. And I pulled up on the scene and I was one of just a handful of people that got there just almost immediately and we had no idea where the suspect was but we could see Todd just inside the door and so we go in and Todd is critically injured and I won't go into all the details but I remember looking and assessing the situation and knowing how dire the situation is knowing that my friend has been critically and probably fatally wounded And I remember in that moment that sense of helplessness and desperation that came over me. As, as I'm looking at the handful of other medics that are there and we're looking at the, at the situation and I felt like the little, the little Dutch boy running around with the, putting, trying to put all, plug all the holes in the, in, the, in the dam. And I'm going, I have never in my life felt as desperate and as helpless. I would have moved heaven and earth to save my friend. I would, have teared, I would have torn down any wall, ripped apart any roof. I would have done anything in that moment. And tragically, despite all of my training and the training of the others, despite all of our efforts and, and the fact that we did everything we could and did it right, it did not produce the result that we wanted For you and I, I pray that we have that same desperation for our lost brothers and sisters. That we're willing to move heaven and earth for them to come to know the saving grace of Jesus that you and I have. The scriptures go on to tell us that when Jesus saw their faith, he said, Friend, your sins are forgiven. Not long after that incident, for the first time in my career, I woke up with a panic attack in the middle of the night. And because of my experience, I knew what was going on, and I immediately got up, started breathing into a bag. I drove myself around until I could calm down, but... I realized in that moment that that call had changed me, that, that this was the one, this was my one. And not only did that call change me, but, but that, that situation opened up the reality of other calls that I had not thought about or I had suppressed or whatever. And so I realized in that moment that I was not okay. And I desperately needed some people to come alongside me. And like many people in that situation, I used as many of the world's vices that I could find to help me do that. And, and despite getting off shift at night or coming home and having a few shots of bourbon before I went to bed did not stop the nightmares from happening and not allow me to sleep through the night. And so I reached out to a buddy of mine who was a 
captain at, a fire, at the fire department and who was a believer and shared with him what was going on and he invited me to attend this Bible study with this group of men who for two years walked alongside of me carrying my spiritual map despite my spiritual crippledness and despite my unwillingness to completely give it over to Jesus and still continue to use every, or not every, but many of the vices that I could get my hands on. But these four guys were willing to be in it for the long haul. They were willing to meet me wherever I was at, break down any walls, peel back any roofs that needed to be, to repeatedly lay me at the feet of Jesus, knowing that only he could bring healing and wholeness. The story goes on to tell us that the moment Jesus offered that forgiveness, that there were those among him who questioned who he was to forgive their sins. When these kind of situations happen, it's really easy for us to look at the horrific situation and begin to believe that there's no hope for the evilness and the wickedness in this world and if you and I are not cautious in our own selfish righteousness we forget how far Jesus is willing to go for you and I and we forget the depth of our own brokenness and our own sinfulness and that Jesus was willing to meet you and I where we were at that his his patience is long-suffering That he was willing to lay down his life for you and I. That none shall perish. That there's no one amongst us, despite what circumstances they're in, that are too far removed for Jesus to heal them. Jesus knew what they were thinking and he said, Who do you think, or why do you think this way in your heart? Which is easier? For your sins to be forgiven or to say get up and walk the beautiful thing about Jesus is he just cuts right to the heart of the matter most of us are walking through the brokenness in our flesh because Jesus has forgiven the sinfulness in our spirit Let us not forget that we war against the things that we don't see, against the spiritual, it's a spiritual battle. And if we're not cautious, we'll allow the veil of our flesh to place judgment on those around us as to who deserves to be saved or not. And Jesus is reminding them that this is not a physical matter, but a spiritual matter. And that his grace is sufficient for all. This world that we live in is a physical world. But you and I are eternal beings. And this is just a spot in the history of our story. And that God's plan for us is eternal. 
and that he will never give up on you and I, and he will never give up on a friend. I'm going to invite the band to come up as I close with a couple of thoughts. How far are you and I willing to go for a friend? Are we willing to get down on our hands and knees every day and ask God to move in their hearts? I think about my friend Todd who gave his life in the service of others. I think about the men and women who on 9-11 ran into chaos when others were fleeing. I think about the officer last weekend who while serving his community gave his life. On the day that Jesus was to be crucified he picked up his cross and he carried it up the hill to Calvary. And in return, he invites you and I to pick up our cross and carry it across the street to our neighbor. He allowed himself to be persecuted, to be mocked. He allowed a crown of thorns to be placed on his head and driven down till the thorns dug deep into his flesh. And all he asks is for you and I to lay down the crowns that we cre create for ourselves and to love one another. Paul in Ephesians 4 says, As a prisoner for the Lord, I urge you to live a life worthy of the calling you have received. Be completely humble and gentle. Be patient, bearing with one another in love. Make every effort to keep the peace of unity through the spirit that bonds us. Church, my prayer for you and I is that these seats be full, but never so full we don't have room for one more. My prayer for you and I is that Jesus offers us the opportunity to bear up with a friend, to pick them up and carry them when they're unable to do it for themselves. My prayer is that you and I never become so prideful that we are unwilling to go where Jesus calls us to go for a brother. And that you and I, despite our different beliefs and our different backgrounds, would hold true to the unity and the peace that is offered through the power of his spirit. Pray you have a blessed week, family. Love you. Thank you. Thank you so much for listening to the Crossroads Church podcast. If you would like to listen to past Crossroads Church podcast, you can go to mycrossroads.co slash podcast. Once again, thanks for listening.